0: Good morning. Well this morning we're gonna talk about a we're gonna discuss a topic that perhaps is not everyone's favorite. Matter of fact when I say the word probably you'll cringe. Oh no. <laughs> but I wanna preface it with a story. Um, this last week we have a satellite school in Sacramento. And they had penalty guys out there. That's when people have to make up some extra time as a penalty and they're at our mercy. We can tell them to do whatever we want within reason. Usually involves cleaning, mopping, organizing, putting things away. The school was a mess out there when my boss went to visit. And so they got cameras so they can look back on the cameras and find out what the people were doing during the day. So there's 17 makeup guys and they're just standing around talking, not doing much. So guess who's in trouble? The instructors that were supposed to be overseeing them. So um, my boss called after he sent an email. He says, I just want to let you know I sent an email and he's pretty he's really nice. He lets me know this has nothing to do with me. You know, it's because of this. I said, "Oh, okay, thanks. Appreciate the heads up. One of my instructors is out there. I'm a lead instructor, but he only he has two legitimate students, not makeup. So they're not really responsible to clean up. He says, you might want to give him a call. So I gave him a call. I said, listen, I said, you might want to help the other instructor manage all those guys because the boss is a little upset the place is a mess." He goes, oh, thanks for the heads up. No problem. And, uh, and so the next thing I get is an email from my boss to everybody over there saying, everybody stay until 3.30. Well, normally they would let them off at 2.30. So now they're staying the full time. And he calls me up the next day and he says, Eric, he said, no, he texted me. He says, what did my message mean to you? And I go back and look, it says, everybody stays till three. And I thought, pretty simple. It means what it says. It means everybody stays till three, instructor and students. He goes, thanks. He wanted to make sure that he communicated that it was it was. received the communication he wanted to send because he got there and they didn't stay until 3.30. So somebody's in trouble. So we got a big meeting when we go back to work Monday. So my boss let me know about it. One thing I really enjoy my boss, and I think one thing he sees in me that makes our relationship go really well, and this is what it is. I know what it is to obey him. He's my boss. When he tells me something... He expects obedience and I obey him. And he's gone to bat for me against some false accusations because he says, I know, Eric, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't intentionally go against what he knows my wishes to be. And he'll go to bat for me on that. And he's right. I won't. If perhaps something happens where I misunderstood him or I didn't know what his wishes are, we understand that happens. But he knows I wouldn't intentionally go against his wishes. So that gives me good, you know, there's a tremendous comfort in knowing that everything's fine. You know, when I go to work, I know everything's fine with me if I just obey. And if I lose my job, as long as it's not for disobedience, I know the Lord's got a better place for me. So I want to talk this morning about obedience, obedience. And that's a topic not a lot of people like. Well, where's he going to go with this? You know? Well, I want to go where the word of God goes. And let's look at it how God looks at it. And let's take a fresh look at what it is to obey, what it isn't, how I should obey, how it affects me, how it affects people around me. It's a pretty broad subject when it comes to the word of God. And I I want to do it in the form of questions. Is obedience to God important? Well, you might say, well, yeah, that's it. Well, some people don't like that word. That's not a good question. (laughs) Of course, it's important, right? Well, let's think about how important it is. And, and I'd like to stop with inob- inanimate objects like nature, you know, like the sun. What if the sun refused to shine? And you thought, well, that's silly. The sun can't refuse to shine, to shine, right? But, you know, it's interesting the word of God, even God himself personifies things. And I think he does it for instruction for us. It says in Job 38, 8 through 12, who enclosed the sea with doors? When bursting forth, it went out from the womb. When I made a cloud, its garment, and thick dark, darkness, its swaddling band. And I placed boundaries on it and set a bolt and doors and said, Thus far shall you come, but no farther, and here shall your proud waves stop. He sets a boundary to the sea. But it's personified. It's as if, it's as if the ocean were a person. And he says, you're, this is, you're stopping right here. Now, we all know, I mean, you remember the tsunami that we had like um, years back killed like over 100,000 people, right? That wave kicks up 20-foot waves. People die. 20 feet is nothing compared to the depths of the ocean. Imagine if the ocean disobeyed God. I'm not going to respect that boundary. I'm going to do what I want. Every once in a while, we get a picture of what it would be like, Right? And he asked Job, have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? That's like, what if the sun refused to shine? We're getting a little taste of it here with the rain, right? Of course, God controls the rain, but what if it were a person and it disobeyed God and said, you know what? I don't feel like raining for a year or two. Well, we know what that would be like. It would be disaster. It is disastrous, isn't it? We're experiencing drought right now. God says, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellites? It's talking as if we're talking about people or animals, right? But it's inanimate objects. But all of creation, God's physical creation, outside of two, two that I could think of, obey God. Obey God. When you think of the narrow band that we, I mean, the, the orbit of the earth... In its proximity to the sun. Any closer, we'd burn up. Any farther away, we'd freeze. And it doesn't take very many degrees for us to start noticing things like hotter climate, less rain, storms somewhere they shouldn't be. Obedience is important, very important. Obedience to God. It says in Mark 4 4 that they were afraid, the disciples were afraid. When Jesus calmed the sea, says, they said, Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? <laughs> Jesus commands the winds and the waves, they obey him. They obey him. And it says even unclean spirits obey him. Now we're talking about personal beings. What would it be like if he didn't have the obedience I mean, he he can exert his authority, just like you and me. He can allow us to disobey, but he can make us obey. He really can. It says in the end, every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, either by your will or against your will. It says, God says, that will happen. So he can make people obey. He can make the spirits obey. But he allows disobedience, and that's an amazing thing. He allows it. He doesn't want to force obedience. He wants obedience from the heart. And we need to look at obedience and see, well, what is it about obedience that's important? How seriously does, does God take obedience? We get the impression, I mean, we get the impression by what we see in the world, what we see in our government, what we see perhaps at work, what we see in our own families sometimes, that obedience, we don't take it so seriously. We see disobedience in our children. We don't follow through with a penalty for disobedience. We see disobedience in the courts, and they find excuses. (laughs) We might even see some people in high offices breaking the law, but that's okay. We can justify everything. You see, when people are disobediently justify, why did I do this? Why did I do that? Why did I disobey? And usually the finger is pointed somewhere else. It's not right here. It's not right here. And it started back in the garden. We're all familiar with that. It's a, it's a topic that's difficult for us because the Bible says that we're all born sons of disobedience. We're born disobedient. And we have to learn obedience. Does God take it seriously? Well, I'd like to bring up some stories from the word of God to let's see how serious it is. You know, sometimes God gives a command and he tells what the, the, the consequences of breaking that are. It started back in the Garden of Eden when God said, if you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. Right? There's the command. There's the consequence for breaking it. Disobey, this is going to happen. But it, God doesn't always give the consequence. Unfortunately, sometimes it's found out the hard way. Let's open to 1 Kings 12. 1 Kings 12. And we'll see a time where the consequences weren't laid out ahead of time. We see the consequences of disobedience and we see, does God take it seriously? He does take it seriously. The background of the story is, do you remember um, when David died, the kingdom went to Solomon? It was a united kingdom. And Solomon had lots of building projects, one of which was the temple. When Solomon passed on, his son Rehoboam assumed the throne or inherited the throne. And the people asked for some relief. We've been working hard these last years for your dad. Can we have some relief? And, of course, he listened to the young counselors instead of the older wise ones. And he says, well, you thought my dad was hard. Will you experience how hard I'm going to be? And so there was a rebellion and God... Decided to divide the kingdom. Rehoboam would have Judah. And um, Jeroboam would have Israel. And so God said, Jeroboam, I'm going to make you a king. I'm, I'm paraphrasing very loosely. I'm going to make you a king. You're going to be uh, a king of all these other tribes. Rehoboam is going to be in charge of Judah. So Jeroboam started worrying about it. And... He said in verse 27, if these people go to offer up sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the thing is, the temple was in Jeroboam's kingdom. Or no, Rehoboam's kingdom. Jeroboam worried about, well, if they worship God where God told them to worship him, then all the heart of the people are going to go back. They're going to want to make him king over everything. It's going to be a united kingdom. and They're going to kill me. So he decided that he was going to make two calves of gold, and have the people. Oh, you could worship here. This is your God. So it was idolatry. And behold, a man of God in verse uh, thirteen one, and it doesn't name the man, cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord, and said, "O altar, altar! Thus says the Lord: Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David." And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, who cried out against the altar in Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Arrest him! Then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered so that he could not pull it back to himself. The altar was also split apart and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. Then the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. But the man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall not eat bread nor drink water nor return by the same way you came. So there's the command of the Lord. No consequences. No consequences said, you don't eat, you don't drink, you don't go back by the way you came. So he went another way and did not return the way he came. Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done in that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went out and came from Judah. Then he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it and went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. And he said to them, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return to you nor go with you. Neither can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For I've been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way you came home. That's, he understood the, uh, the order, didn't he? Very clear. And he wasn't about to break the command. He was really determined to obey, right? He said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you at your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. So did he obey? He didn't obey, did he? Unfortunately, he was tripped into disobedience. But you know, whenever we're tempted to disobey, there's usually something in our heart that wants to disobey. You know? Satan has something to appeal to. And if I'm really hungry and somebody offers me a feast... There might be something within me that really wants to go back, and all you have to say is something like, "Oh yeah, an angel told me you should come back." Whatever it was, he disobeyed. Whatever it was, and the first person something to cry, "That's not fair! That's not fair!" Excuse me, God gave him instructions personally. Somebody claimed to have a message from God that wasn't from God, but through an angel, and he was lying. It's not the first time that we find lying in scripture and the people of God tricked. The important thing is to know the word of God and obey the word of God. God will never contradict himself. And if it seems like a contradiction, you have the wrong understanding. You need clarification. Now, it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet. This is the. Not the man of God, but the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah saying, thus says the Lord. Now, thus says the Lord, (laughs) because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment, which the Lord your God commanded you. But you came back, ate bread and drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tombs of your father. So there was a penalty for disobedience. And it was the very man that lied to him that the Lord used his mouth to speak the consequences of this disobedience. And so, and so it was, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled a donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. Disobedience cost him his life. Does God take obedience seriously? He does. He does. And his corpse was thrown on the road, and the donkey stood by it. And the lion also stood by the corpse. And then the prophet went and got his corpse, buried him, and later on he was buried with the corpse. So why is it important to obey God? Well, for one thing, because he's God. Because he's God. And he knows so much more than we know. And I was thinking about this. There's other portions in Scripture that... We look at what seem to be drastic consequences for sins that don't seem to be so grave. For example, you remember the rock that Moses, God instructed Moses to strike the rock and water came forth and refreshment came to the nation of Israel in the wilderness. Well, after a while, they grumbled again, they needed water. And so... God said to Moses, "Go speak to the rock." Right? And Moses was so angry with the people, he went and beat that rock and it didn't water didn't come out. He beat it again and then water came out. But then Moses wasn't going to be allowed to go into the promised land. Why? Cuz he disobeyed God. What was so wrong with beating the rock the second time rather than speaking to the rock? You might ask yourself, "The punishment doesn't seem to fit the crime." Well, be careful with God, the punishment always meets the crime. We just don't understand the crime. So you, you might imagine, and I can imagine one crime that was very gravely committed there, and that was, how many people, do you know anybody that's an artist? Maybe you're an artist here. We were at the fair last night, and we saw this painting. It was incredible, painted by a 12-year-old. I'm going, I can't believe it. First prize. Any artists in the room? We've got one artist. All right. One person's going to understand me. (laughs) Well, you go to the fair, you see these gorgeous paintings, right? Well, you go to a museum, you see more expensive paintings. Depending on the museum, you go to Masterpiece, you see Masterpieces painted. And, you know, I don't get it, but people sit there and look at things and look at things and look at things. I'm wondering, what do they see? They see something I don't see because I'm not an artist. But there's some beauty there that I'm not getting. But they're getting, (laughs) Right? So if they say it's worth a million dollars, you just have to trust them. I won't pay for it, but I'll trust them. God's an artist. He's a master artist. And we, we, we see this in The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus. Through the Old Testament, through history, his story, he's painting these masterpieces of a message that's very important that we get. Right? And it's, it's pictures with people, with history, with events. And you put it together. Now, that's a picture I can see beauty in. Because God's given me eyes to see that. And here's the picture with Moses and that rock. The picture is that. Christ is the rock. It says that in the New Testament. He provides refreshment in the wilderness. When he was beaten. Which speaks of him. Suffering on the cross. That we might have eternal life. Real refreshment. In a wilderness. Where we see nothing but death. Because his. Of his stripes we are healed. He bore our sins on the body and God punished him in our place. And it says elsewhere in the New Testament that he was to die, he was to be punished just once for all. Just once. Right? So here's this gorgeous painting that God pictured, picked, uh, um, painted with this rock. Next time they come by, they need refreshment. Now just speak to the rock. God's not going to punish Christ twice for our sins. And we do walk through a weary wasteland sometimes, it seems. What do we do for refreshment? We speak to Christ. We pray to Christ. We look to Christ. We don't look for him to be hit beat again. So what Moses did, knowingly or unknowingly, through disobedience, it doesn't matter. He destroyed that artwork that God created. He destroyed the picture. You know. And it's only because God punished him. It gave him the consequences that we can look back and say, wait a minute, there was something significant there. There was something important. Look to the New Testament, we can see, oh, now I see, now I see. So in this case, what was so bad about this guy not going back the way he came? What was so bad about him stopping to eat and drink? Well, I'll tell you what was so bad about it, because God said not to. <laughs> and God's got his reasons. But you know, it just hit me this morning, that because I was looking elsewhere about a similar story, and I'm thinking... Maybe these people studied this passage and it helped them do the right thing. Do you remember anybody that was told in the New Testament, do not go back the way you came? It was the Magi from the East. When Herod, when he heard that there was a king of Israel was born, oh, and we're going to go worship him. Really, when you find him, come back and tell me where he is. So I can go worship him. He wanted to kill him. God warned him don't go back the way you came who knows if they didn't read this story and said you know I I know somebody that didn't obey that and I don't want want that to happen to me so I'm going to obey I don't know but there's reasons why God has us do things we don't know all the reasons but they're important reasons and you could rest assured of having a peaceful tranquil life when you live a life of obedience does obedience affect others? disobedience? in this case it was just him well We don't know if he had any family that suffered as a result. It doesn't say it was just a man of God. But it looks like it was just him. But there's other stories to show us that disobedience just doesn't affect us. It affects people around us. You remember the story of Jericho. Nation of Israel uh, crosses the river. First city that they're supposed to um, attack is Jericho. And God's going to deliver Jericho into their hands. But it's the first city. And God says, it says in uh, Joshua chapter 6, it says the city shall be under a ban and and that it belongs to the Lord. This is the first city of many that you're going to conquer. There's going to be much spoil through the conquest, but this one belongs to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord. You remember that's where Rahab the harlot was. But the sons of Israel acted uh, unfaithfully. The sons of Israel... Acted unfaithfully in regards to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. The sons of Israel acted unfaithfully because this guy over here took something under the ban. See, his disobedience affected the sons of Israel, and the anger of the Lord burned against them. And so what happened is the next city to be conquered was I.E. I don't know how to pronounce it. A.I. I'll just say A.I. That's how it's spelled. A.I. So they sent spies. Go look at it. Spies came back. No, we don't need everybody. Just two or three thousand. Maybe four. This is a piece of cake. And so they attacked A.I. And boy, did they get chased. And it says that 36 of their men were slain. Thirty-six men lost their lives because the hand of the Lord was not with them. And they thought it was a piece of cake. So, of course, they were hung their heads in shame, and Joshua cried out to the Lord. And then the Lord had them draw lots to narrate, what's the problem? And that went back to Achan, because Achan stole from things under the ban. And then it says, then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons and his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent and all that belonged to him. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day and all Israel stone them with stone and burden them with fire after they stone them with stones. Disobedience. It doesn't just restrict itself to the one that disobeyed. It affects those around us in many ways. Sometimes obvious, sometimes not so obvious. And that's true of the church as well. Oftentimes, churches go through very extreme difficulties. And the big question is, is there some secret sin in the church? Because it does affect everyone. So obedience, obedience, you know, somebody might say, well, you know, children, that's easy for you to say. You're the parent. You know, we have to obey you. I want to say something about obedience. Everybody must obey. Everybody. Everybody's got somebody to obey. And we see that in Scripture. It says, children, obey your parents and the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live a long life on the earth. Children, obey your parents. Well, well, I mean, some of us know sometimes. (laughs) What would your household be like if your children didn't obey you? Not very happy. Not very happy. And you know, obedience seems to be one of the greatest challenges to enforce in the home. Sometimes at work and everywhere, really, because we're sons of disobedience. But obedience is a requirement. For orderly living. It's a requirement for an orderly universe. If the universe didn't obey God, we'd have disorder and chaos. We'd be destroyed in a heartbeat. It says, you younger men, You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders. It says, as a church is subject to Christ, church is subject. Wives ought to be subject to their own husbands and everything. It says, to remind them in Titus... Be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. It says slaves in all things obey those who are your masters. To me, that speaks of my employer. Obey your employer. Do what he says, and you'll always have a job. I was uh, teaching total station this last week, and there was a guy that asked to be in the class, and he has he's been out of work since the beginning of the year. And this guy has been in the industry for thirty years. I said, I don't understand. He's been working for some big companies. worked some big jobs. I said, I don't understand how you're out of work. He goes, well, I mouthed off to the wrong time. you know, Disobeyed his boss. Wouldn't do what he told him to do. And he says, I, I, I shouldn't have done that. but 30 years working straight. Now he's out of the job for months. And it's because of disobedience. Just one act of disobedience at the wrong time. Boom. You're out of here. So... He's trying to make the best of it, trying to get back into the workforce, but sometimes it's not easy. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. We all have to obey. I have to obey the elders. And I find comfort in doing it. You know, God's going to guide me. God's going to lead me. If I'm a child, if I obey my parents, I mean, we we sometimes look at some of the difficulties children get into, and I'm thinking, if they just obeyed their parents. I mean... There's only one person in the universe that cares more about you than your parents if you're a child. And that's God. And God stands right behind your parents. You know? You obey your parents, you're obeying God. You obey your parents, you're honoring God and your parents. That doesn't mean they're not going to tell you something you don't like doing. They might tell you to take out the garbage Regularly. You might think, well, what's the good in that? Well, when they get older, they might do it regularly and make somebody very happy doing it. You know? Um, when I look at the garbage can and it hasn't been taken out, and I know it's not my wife's responsibility because she does all the cooking and all the, all the stuff that a lot of people don't do, I, I'm thinking, I'm going to take it out. I just think of that. But do our children think of that without being asked? We have to train them and expect obedience obedience um you know the lord is not asking us to do something that he himself hasn't done and i find that amazing god's god he's he's god he's our creator he holds all things together with the word of his power and he could dissolve everything just with a thought and yet it says that he learned obedience by the things that he suffered and well, how does that work? How does that work? Well, God can't learn anything. We know that, right? So did Jesus learn anything? Not in the sense of gaining knowledge or information he didn't have. But we, can, we use that expression. Let's see if I can communicate the expression. I know what it is. I learned what it is to be dirty when I had to clean the sewer. <laughs> Now, have I never been dirty before? Sure. But by my experience, I found out what real dirty is. Jesus always obeyed. But it wasn't until he suffered that he really learned, in an experiential way, what it is to obey. Experientially, when he went to the cross. Do you think he wanted to go to the cross and die for our sins? He asked the father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, thine will be done. So obedience is always comfortable, but it's always best. And when it comes to God, it's always the end is always best. So when we think of the Lord Jesus, God coming down from heaven, subjecting himself, being obedient, you know, he was even obedient to his creatures to one degree or another. That's amazing that he subjected himself to obedience To He was born a baby. Do you think there was any moments in his childhood that he was disobedient? Mothers, wouldn't you love to raise a child like the Lord Jesus Christ? Wasn't Mary blessed in that sense, you know? But he subjected himself. He knows what it is to obey and he knows it's best. And look what he's accomplished. Eternal salvation, eternal life for all those that trust in him because he obeyed. Because you obeyed. Now think of this: What, by the time you die, what will you be able to accomplish if you just do one thing? Obey God. What's what are the possibilities? What are the potential? What's the potential for you if you just obey God? Obey God. That's what Jesus did. He led the way. He didn't, you know, and he had every right to tell us to obey. It says, for as to one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Who's that? Adam. Through Adam's disobedience, we inherited a sinful nature. We came from that. Sons of disobedience. It says, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many were made righteous. That's how powerful obedience is. The Lord Jesus Christ obeyed, and we are the benefactors of that. And one thing the Lord pointed out, which is really good, you know, God doesn't owe us thanks for obeying him. Did you know that? He doesn't owe us thanks. And we have no right to expect it. You see that in Luke 17. It says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against him, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. God says, command, forgive so, if you're withholding forgiveness, you're not obeying. And you might, well, I have a reason not to, well, not according to God. It says, if he sins you against you seven times a day and seven times in a day returns and says to you, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostle said, Lord, increase our faith. That's a hard one. To them, that was a hard one. And this is what the Lord said. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you could say this mulberry tree be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. What's he saying? Increase your faith to forgive someone? Are you kidding me? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can get it, throw a tree into the ocean. You're saying you need a lot of faith to forgive someone? He says, And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has first come in from the field, come in at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me until I've eaten and drinking or drank or drunk? And afterwards you will eat. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. When God commands us to do things, what are the things that we receive from the Lord? I mean, we don't have it too bad in our lives, do we? Matter of fact, we have it pretty good. I don't care what you're going through. You can look at 80% of the world out there and you can find people in misery, in poverty, in poverty have it way worse than we have it. We have every reason to be grateful. And yet, God, just because who he is, the sovereign of the universe, our creator, the one who gives us life daily. That's like your parents asking you to take out the garbage. (laughs) And you complain. I did it yesterday. Well, yeah, you ate yesterday too. (laughs) Guess what? I did your laundry yesterday too, Mother says. (laughs) You know? Guess what, Father says? I paid the electrical bill yesterday too. You know, after all you do for your kids, is it too much to ask take out the garbage? Well, with all that God does for us, is it too much to ask when he says, Do this, talk to that person, forgive this person, you know, submit? Oh yeah, God He's happy with me. What do you mean he's happy with this? My duty to do that, it's my responsibility to do that. Some people don't like the word duty, but I don't mind the word duty. My duty, responsibility, it's my right place. It's a correct position before God to obey him in all things. So what what does obedience to God reveal about you and about me? He says, the Lord says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me is loved by my father. Our obedience to God shows that we, one, believe him. Two, trust him. Three, love him. How do I show I love God? Do what he says. You know? There are millions of people lost out there that don't have Christ that are on their way to eternal destruction. God loves them, wants you to speak with them. How do you show you love God? He says, go out and make disciples. You know? He says, share the good news. Not hard to understand. When we obey God, we acknowledge one is power. He's almighty God. He's got every right to say whatever he wants and have everybody obey his commands. We recognize and acknowledge his authority. His understanding. When he says to do something, there's a reason. There's a good reason. Whether I know it, can comprehend it, will ever know it's beside the point. He knows it. We acknowledge his wisdom. His commands are the wisest. His direction. You can't get better. We acknowledge His goodness. You know, He leads us in goodness toward goodness. Demonstrates His goodness in how He directs us. We acknowledge His ownership. He owns us. You know, today <laughs> with pets, there's a group that doesn't like to use, use that word in regards to your pets. You're not an owner of an animal; you're a caretaker. They don't sell you an animal; they'll let you adopt an animal. It's a personification of animals. Come on. My dog. My wife's dog. And I'm the Lord's creature. I belong to the Lord. And he could do with me whatever he wants. And I'm just grateful he's a good God. (laughs) But he has the right to do with me whatever he wants. And I acknowledge that. Even if I might not like it, he's got that right. right. We acknowledge his greatness. He is a great God. And He commands the universe. Who am I to stand up against Him and say, I will not submit? We recognize that He is God. We acknowledge that He is God. We understand something about our, ourselves. This is my place before God. God, I'm listening. I, I remember this poster with a little squirrel, and he's sitting up there. He goes, Lord, I'm paying attention. You know, I'm paying attention. Lord, what do you want me to do? Anything. Because God's commands, His enablement. He's not going to ask me to do something I can't do. We understand our need. We need God. Some people like to just pretend He doesn't exist, but they need God just as much as I do. We understand our weakness that we're dependent creatures. We need the rain. Nobody's going to give it to you but God. Man hasn't figured out how to make rain. <laughs> and of course, our duty. The question is how should we obey? You can get your children to obey you just by intimidation, fear, you know. But that's not the way we should obey God. That's not the way we want our children to obey us. We want our children to obey us just like we want, or God wants us to obey Him with an attitude of thankfulness. Gratitude. God's not after obedience as a rule of life. You can't get to heaven by obeying rules. Obedience in the eyes of God is a demonstration of gratitude for something he's already given, eternal life, forgiveness of sins. If you've received the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be motivated out of gratitude to obey him. I should be. We should obey him with an attitude of reverence, not flippantly um, treat God. Attitude of worship, adoration. We should happily obey him. When God sets us out in a direction, there's excitement involved because it says he works all things out for good to those who love him. He's got a plan. We always say God's got a plan for your life. And that's a cliche. But, you know, he really does. Are you excited about it? I'm excited about it. This next phase for my life, if it was just last night, I went to a fair with my grandson, Buster. I was excited about that. I didn't think I'd ever be excited about holding a baby in my arms and showing him cows and goats and chickens, you know? But to see his eyes, it brought me joy. You know, God's good. He really is. And I look forward to many more moments like that, Lord willing. We should obey him with trust. That I don't understand this. It's not easy. I'm not comfortable. But I trust God knows what he's doing. And when he wants me to do this, there's a good reason, though I don't understand it. Lord, I'm just going to trust you and obey you. Because I should. And in the end, I'm gonna look back and say, Boy, I'm glad I did. I'm really glad I did. Cost of disobedience, we could see it as we go back and look at scripture, Adam and Eve plunged the whole human society into sin with one act of disobedience. Changed everything. Cain. God warned him. You know, sin's crouching out the door, you gotta master it. Nope, not gonna obey I'm gonna kill my brother. Killed his brother. Noah obeyed, saved his family. Everybody outside, he preached 120 years that wouldn't obey. Destroyed. Destroyed. Tower of Babel. <laughs> Why do you think we have all the different languages on earth? Because they didn't obey God. God said spread out and multiply. They didn't want to. They wanted to huddle up, make a name for themselves and build a tower up to heaven. False religion. So now we have to deal with different languages. Passover. Remember the Passover, the angel of death? God was sending an angel of death. Take a lamb, watch it for so many days. Make sure it's without blemish. Kill the lamb. Put the blood on the doorposts and the lintels. Or is that right? No, doorposts, lintels. Sorry. <laughs> and if you do that, the angel of death will pass over. One act of the disobedience might not kill you, but it'll kill your oldest son, right? Firstborn. Act of disobedience. You know, and the last one I want to close with this is, um, you know, it's interesting. What, What does it mean to obey? Consequence for disobedience. The consequence of this last command will not kill you, but send you to hell for eternity. You'll die for some medical reason. I don't know, a car hitting you, but it's because of this disobedience that'll send you to hell for all eternity. The gravest of consequences. It says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And when I read some more verses, you'll see what it's saying. It's saying that to obey God is to believe him. To believe him is to obey him. It says, the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. Talks about obeying the gospel. Talk about believing the gospel. The good news that Jesus died for you. What is is it that God wants us to do? You know Somebody approached the Lord Jesus Christ in this day and says, what shall we do to do the works of God? <laughs> this is the work of God. You believe on who he sent, which is Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that we deserve to go to hell. Believe that God loves us so much that he sent his son to take our sins in his body on the cross and to die in our place. And it's only through 100% trust in him and what he did alone on that cross for our salvation that we can be forgiven of our sins. That's Obeying the gospel. It's the same thing as believing the gospel. That is the act of obedience that if you disobey, you're doomed to an eternity in hell. And so is obedience important? Yeah, it's important. And the problem is, is when we let disobedience reign in our families, in our lives, in our country, it teaches people it's okay. And people get the idea that, you know what, that's what it says, but I I don't quite believe it. Believe it, it's true, God says it. Obey the gospel, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Obedience. So ask yourself, and, and I ask myself as I'm preparing for this, I ask myself, does my life describe a life of obedience? And it makes me want to look into my life, examine my life. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's where you should start believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. obey the gospel. let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do praise you and bless you for your example of obedience. It's amazing to us to think of God Almighty coming down from heaven, taking on the form of flesh and subjecting himself to obedience even to his creatures, obeying the Father, carrying our sins to the cross and dying for us Lord. and we get we get it, Lord. We get it. Our rightful place is to obey you. And Lord, I just pray for anyone here that hasn't obeyed the gospel, that hasn't believed on you for salvation, that you might help them to see that it is urgent. It does have eternal consequences. And it even affects people around them. So Lord, I pray for those people that might accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And for us that already have accepted you, pray. Help us to remember our place before you. Help us to seek to live lives of obedience, knowing that that is the best thing we can do for ourselves and for those around us and for our family. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.